How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm doing absolutely fine. Thank you very much. It's 32 degrees here in sunny Jersey. Um, I was meant to have teaching today because I'm doing some maths tutoring, um, which has been quite good fun. I didn't expect you to say maths tutoring. That was a bit of a curveball. (laughs) (laughs) I almost did maths at university. I'm not doing any music tutoring, just just maths and ironically biology. But no, I almost did maths at university. It was a real throw up between maths and music. You just have so many strings to your bow, Sarah, pardon the pun. That's just crazy. I feel like that that just like sets up this whole episode so well. Oh, it's no. Like Sarah Curl <laughs> could probably do anything. Hello and welcome to Classical Music Now, the podcast by No Dice Collective. I am your host, Joe Chesterman-March, and today we have Sarah Curl on the podcast. Sarah specializes in electroacoustic composition, which generally speaking means music that manipulates recorded audio in some way or another. I'm sure there are much better definitions than that, but that's all you're getting from me. We also mentioned the term acousmatic, which is when it's audio only. So sometimes electroacoustic can include performers, um, but that's not really what we talk about today. So uh, Sarah might use those terms interchangeably. I did some electroacoustic composition myself at the Nova Studios in the University of Manchester, where Sarah and I went to university together. We were in the same year and we were in lots of the same choirs as well. More recently, Sarah and I have been singing together uh, remotely with Kansas Chamber Choir through a program called Jamulus, which has been a nice stopgap while we wait a few years for uh, singing to be acceptable again anyway today is our first remote interview um all the episodes up to now have been recorded back in march i was really lucky on that front and also crazy lucky that this is the first year in five years that no dice hasn't planned a concert so i think on some level i i predicted coronavirus i'm just gonna put that out there so this is the first remote interview um we didn't even get onto sarah's singing but she is a very very talented person she's got electroacoustic composition singing viola and you'll find out maths as well she thought about doing maths at university really really talented person next month we'll have vijay iron which is a real real special event vijay is a really big deal in the jazz world and he's also done some classical compositions although i'm sure we'll spend some time breaking down those genre barriers in the next episode we're recording that in a few weeks if you know who Vijay Iyer is, or you find out who he is, and you want to ask him some questions, please, please, please send me a message. Doesn't matter, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever. Just send me a message, and I'll try and sneak it into the conversation. So if you're interested in asking him a question, do let me know. So without further delay, this is my conversation with Sarah Kerr. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will. But yours be done. So have you been managing to get in any uh, electroacoustic or just composition in general over lockdown period? Mostly just like planning and doing a little bit of recording as well. Um, Because my PhD starts this October and then it's going to be pretty much three years of no break and nothing but electroacoustic composition. So I'm quite enjoying having a little bit of a, a time off and just thinking about all my projects and getting super excited about them. Um, but you know, I don't have a lot of the tech that I need here in Jersey. 
Um, obviously, the Novars Studios in, at the University of Manchester are so good, as you well know. Um, so I'm, I'm missing some of that tech. The mic I'm using at the moment, which is quite nice, is actually my dad's and not mine at all. Um, what mic is it? You know what? I have no idea. I said, Dad, do you have a good <laughs> microphone for me to do choir on the internet? And he said, here's a microphone. And it worked well. So I haven't actually asked any more questions about it. <laughs> Should really know the answer to that question, huh? For someone who records things as their like main yeah. career path. <laughs> yeah, like literally any mic is better than no mic. That's what I realized over lockdown. Is oh, that yeah. It really doesn't matter what the microphone is as long as it's not your laptop. <laughs> so you did your undergraduate at the same time as me, obviously. And then you did a, a master's in electroacoustic after yeah. that. Yeah, so I went straight into a master's, no break, oh boy. Uh, and yeah, I did, did that master's degree over two years, which is the best way to do it. Do not do it in one year, my goodness. 100%, um, 100%. Yep. You oh get boy. twice the amount of resources right? for the same amount of money. And half Absolutely. the amount of stress. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just less condensed stress, you know. Well, unless you decide to do a second course on the side like <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> You're like, yeah, oh, I made this the is the best way to do it. Stupid decision. <laughs> <laughs> to, to do another course I did one in um, sound for film game and tv at SSR which is the school of sound recording about 10 minutes away from the uni in Manchester so place was very convenient and that was fantastic skills from both the masters and that course really integrated with each other um, but yeah for about six months I didn't have a social life you're absolutely right <laughs> I had no free time um, but yeah it was really worth doing and then because I went straight, in, straight into my masters for my undergrad last year until covid happened was basically like an, an off year a gap year if you will but yeah it, it's been quite nice to have a break but also I'm really raring to like get go with projects again it's so hard to take a break because I always said that I would take a break after uni yeah and I'd kind of have my gap year then because I didn't really feel like I wanted or needed one before uni yeah but I quite liked the idea of it but I've just not got the follow-through to just remove myself from the world <laughs> for a whole year I was gonna say like you've been on full throttle since uni I don't think I've ever seen <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anything you do like slow down once <laughs> oh thank you I'll tell you that as a compliment <laughs> yeah no it is a compliment um yeah, I found yeah. that I was I was quite worried you know taking that year eight what if my momentum goes or what if I forget how to use like anything what if I forget how to sing <laughs> was like a, a big problem um right. i haven't hopefully um have you tried does it still work it still works voice box still works yeah but yeah so obviously i was worried about that but um the times that i have been in manchester in between my my travels have been really good for like getting back in contact with everybody and doing a couple of projects you know with cantos so yeah so what have you spent your year out doing oh man you been, you've been traveling right i've been traveling it's been amazing so from september to december last year um, I went to South Africa and volunteered at a wildlife sanctuary called Cheetah Outreach, which is incredible. I mean, I don't know if you've seen any photographs, but like I got to be in an enclosure with cheetahs for three months. So can't really, uh, wow. <laughs> can't really beat that. But yeah, it was, it was an absolutely incredible experience. And, um, basically. And was that like the, a wildlife sanctuary? It was. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. Just for everyone who's thinking of Tiger King right now. It's not. Oh my gosh. It's not that. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> this is an interesting thing actually because I've 
been doing some online courses during lockdown. And one of them is in animal behavior and welfare in preparation for my PhD, which I'll probably explain a bit about later. But what's been really nice is learning more about the international standards of animal welfare and then applying it to Cheetah Outreach, where I went and volunteered. They did everything right. And I was really worried doing this course. I was going to be like, oh, maybe they shouldn't have done that or maybe they should have done this a bit differently. But every single like new module I'm doing, I'm thinking, wow, they actually are doing such a good job over there. Um, so that's oh, really brilliant. good. You know, few. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you went down there, did your cheetah thing? Did my cheetah thing. And that was actually where I was inspired to do the upcoming projects in my PhD. Because I don't know if you know what a cheetah sounds like, but it's amazing. You think, oh, it's good. It's a big cat, right? It's going to roar. It purrs and it's just oh. the best sound. They purr and they make like a chirping noise, like a bird which is just totally unexpected. And I thought, wow, why don't more people know what these animals sound like? I had no idea a cheetah chirped. Right. I, like, I have the no first idea time what I heard noise it, a cheetah makes. I, like, I saw the face make the noise and I still looked at the keeper and was like, what the, did a bird make that? <laughs> They're like, what, what on earth? And they said, no, 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 all, all the cheetahs make that really high pitched noise. And I was like, <laughs> makes them a little bit less scary and intimidating if they're just going like, it's really, really funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the purring. Oh my gosh. Um, wow. Anyway, yeah. So I did that for three months, which was so good. Mm. So yeah, it was a, a really good year, but I'm really looking forward to getting back into the Manchester culture, which obviously you know extremely well and I've I've missed this year, definitely, having been in it for five mm. years. So, um, What do you think makes up the Manchester culture? Oh my goodness. What is it you're missing at the moment? Like not knowing what you're going to be listening to when you go to a concert that's like a big favorite of mine when I go to concerts and I'm like I have no idea what I'm going to hear today and then going and being like wow I heard some new sounds that I've never heard before mm-hmm. that's that's a favorite for me and just the like real supportive atmosphere yeah uh, yeah I was saying to Illy in the last episode how how good the Thursday lunchtime concerts that you get at the University of Manchester yeah, are for that right like just even the so ones when you go out of them and you're like I didn't really enjoy that yeah, I, I was listening yeah, exactly. to this as well that you're um, it's me with Illy. Yeah, I totally agree. I remember when I went for my interview at Manchester before before undergrad, and the lunchtime concert was a vibraphone player, and the vibes were like electric. So when you hit, it would make a noise that wasn't the note. Oh, I'm describing this really badly, but um, no, I understand. So it's like it's like connected to a computer somehow. Yeah, exactly. Like so you know, he hits a chord and it just comes up with some wacky sounds. And me, a 17 year old. <laughs> who had never really heard anything contemporary it was like a total eye-opener like I remember that concert so Mm. clearly in my mind that must have been so wild like it's kind (laughs) of like the cheetah you're just like what yeah literally (laughs) it made that noise (laughs) yeah I mean I don't know if you you remember like first year but I was such a old classical music person I didn't know anything 20th century really past Vaughan Williams that was sort of where my limits went I mean we peaked there to be fair you know? <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna stop anywhere I mean it's a good place to stop right <laughs> yeah so all of my compositions for like A-level were basically Vaughan Williams rip-offs um and I wanted didn't know whether I wanted to be a viola player or a singer I knew I wanted to maybe do some video game music because I was a, a real gamer was still am so when I arrived at uni and, and suddenly all of these sounds were happening I was like what oh my goodness what can I do with these um it was a, a real sort of not a character change but you know what I mean like a, a real eye-opener to what the mm. possibilities were and when you first heard all these wacky sounds were you kind of set against them was it that kind of shocking or you you got on board it's a real mixture because the first time I'd really heard them 
um because my my brother the amazing james carl uh went to manchester uni two years before me and did a music degree and he would come home in the in the holidays and be like sarah listen to this weird thing <laughs> that we were meant to study and you know me being how old would i have been like 16 and uh being shown these things and being like this is just too weird for me it's just too weird mm. like mm, i can't get on board with this um so my first interaction with it was really like oh james i don't know what you're showing me here but it's a you know a bit wacky and then as soon as i sort of got in the middle of it all it was a total like wow I want to be a part of this I want to use these weird sounds um and have been doing yeah. for the last six years so <laughs> <laughs> yeah and am I right in thinking that you your favorite thing to play on the viola is new music as well oh hell yeah yeah absolutely um <laughs> hell's to the yeah yeah new music all the <laughs> I way love playing new music I don't know why I just I just love it. Like, you don't, again, it's a part of you don't really know what you're going to be faced with. And um, I also like that you're able to talk to the composer. Because I don't know if you ever play a piece and you just wish you could talk to the composer and be like, I hate this bit. Just get rid of it. I can't play that. <laughs> just make it different. But with new music, you can do that. I mean, what's better? <laughs> yeah. yeah. If so only Paganini was in the room. Like, no, 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 no. We can't, we can't, no, we can't do this. We bit. can't have this. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I mean I, I absolutely love playing it and singing um new music it was a real part of I mean you remember this as well because obviously we went to uni together but it was a real part of our undergrad experience um was playing so much new music and you know some of it didn't really enjoy but you know the whole process of it w was just great yeah absolutely and I think one of the the things that Manchester did best actually was the idea that music is is written to be performed and that you need to think of your performers before you write yes. it yes oh my goodness yes it's not just like a nice piece of I mean obviously like graphic scores and everything fantastic but it's you know it's not just a piece of paper it's about the sound more than it is um anything else they really they really put that in yeah because you do quite a bit of graphic score performance don't you yeah I have actually done quite a lot of it I can't actually remember when that started. I think it started when um, I was actually asked to do the art for it. Right, okay. And I was in first year or second year, so fairly early on. And um, somebody had heard that, that I did a bit of painting and drawing and they asked me to do the graphic score for like a live performance. And it was the first uh, concert I ever did at the International Anthony Burgess Foundation. So this was the a start of a... <laughs> <laughs> a long, long list of uh, a long relationship with this venue and um i had like a huge piece of paper on the floor and uh, there were like three movements one of which i drew whatever i wanted and then they would just play what i drew and then the second movement was i listened to what they played and then i drew it and then the third movement was basically just like chaos for five minutes which is great was that the kind of official description it's just yeah we've got <laughs> this plan for the first two and then the third no there was gonna... there was a more explicit plan to this um but i just remember the, the third movement being just like color chaos because all the musicians got in with the drawing as well it was great oh so that really cool. opened up to, cool. to graphic scores and i i love the freedom but also the fact that you're being guided around something yeah, because I've done you know text scores, graphic scores. I I, I do really enjoy playing them for, for that reason, the freedom, but also you're being guided around what the composer had in their head. Yeah, they're really interesting. I still haven't quite figured figured out how I feel about them <laughs> <laughs> in many ways. I think, like you say, because you're saying it's you know it's not there to be pretty; it's there to be performed. Yeah, I mean, I th as I think as long as composers remember that when they're doing it. Mm. You, 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 I found that the best graphic scores are made by composers who perform as much as they compose. Yeah. 
Because there's that kind of visual analogy, isn't there? Yeah, you know, because exactly. every, well, I mean, everything on the page is a visual analogy. <laughs> Literally. Because you're thinking it's like a, if it's like a zigzag, you're thinking, how do I interpret that? Like, yeah, what, yeah. what does that mean musically? And it's so interesting to think, how can I interpret this without it being like Mickey Mouse, you know, like really cliche and actually doing it in a really mm. interesting way, but also still following it? It's a really difficult question. And it's a question that, you know, I can't answer. I still can't answer having been doing this for some years. And I think that's that's part of the joy of it as well. Um, the mystery, you know. The mystery. Yeah. yeah. It seems like a really rewarding because I was talking to the Vonnegut Collective. I don't know if you've heard that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they, they really sold me on the enjoyment of it as a performer and yeah. the value of it and how everyone should be doing it as part of their skill set. Especially if it's if it's a group play. I find it's really fun when you're doing it by yourself, but when you're doing it with other people, it's just a total game changer. Mm. Um, what about it? Is it the kind of communication? I think because or? it's not just you're reading the score. It's half you're reading the score and half you're reading what the other person's doing with the score. Mm. It's again, it's not just about you and a piece of paper. It's about communication with the composer and the other performer. And that's the kind of thing I love about new music in general. So it's, it's yeah, like the epitome of that. Yeah. I suppose you should be doing that with all your pieces, really. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a nice vehicle to hone that skill. Yeah, Because yeah. it's more explicit that you're yes. all... It's, there's one piece of paper that's a kind of physical representation of it. And you have to, like, decide where you're going to go. You can't just go crazy off in different directions because then, what, like, you're not playing what's written. So having those mm. sort of conversations as well, I find I find really interesting. Yeah. I've been listening to a guy called Vijay Ayer, who's going to be on the next podcast, which is really cool because yeah. he's he's a kind of slightly big deal in the jazz world. Oh, nice. But he's, he says some really interesting things about genre. Yeah. Uh, he, we'll, we'll get to why he's, he's on a classical music <laughs> podcast next episode. You'll have to wait for that. <laughs> um, but he says some really interesting things about genre and kind of thinking about genre as communities instead of, you know, labels that, that are quite strict and yeah that's a um, good way to think about it yeah and it's i've been thinking about that ever since i i listened to his talk about it that's a that's such an interesting way of saying it because i found especially within electroacoustic composition like the genre is so broad i mean you can say electroacoustic composition it could be literally anything from like noise music for 20 minutes to just some wacky nice noises to a flute with some cool reverb on like it could be anything within there but it still mm. feels like a community so I think that's a really interesting thing. Sorry, I don't want to steal stuff he's going to say. So I'll shut up now. But um, yeah, <laughs> no, 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 a, no, I don't. hadn't heard that before. So that's that's really sparked something. Yeah, and I kind of say it now out loud and it's it seems really obvious. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, all the best ideas do, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> Joe, we've been doing music for years. Why haven't we come up with this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I find that an interesting idea for the institution as well. Because it, it kind of, if you're in a certain environment, at a certain university even if there are no explicit limits on what you can compose yeah there's going to be the community around you and what's inspiring you so oh, I definitely yeah I was talking to Pierre and we were talking about how if you think about it in terms of a community of course there's going to be shared aspects to each other's compositions yeah definitely. if there's a kind of hierarchy of people that you're you're learning from because um, you're going to be inspired, aren't you? You're going to pick up things that you like from their compositions. There's definitely like, especially in undergrad, I think what we call the, the Manchester sound of undergrad compositions, which is when people were finally realising 
that it's not all about making it sound super pretty and then suddenly go crazy <laughs> and um really inspired by obviously the, the lecturers that are there at the moment of course um, yeah. so yeah for sure of, of course it's going to be inspiring yeah so I'm what am I I'm like three years out now I think I'm three years One, out of two, university three. yeah it'll be three and it, you know lockdown came around and I was like fantastic I've got this chance to make music and I thought <laughs> what kind of music can I make oh it should probably do some instrumental music because that's what I do with no dice yeah and then I was like oh no but what, the music I really like doing is writing songs in Ableton and it, yeah. it sounds again it sounds obvious but like it's nice to write the music you want yeah, to write you and, want to and write I think, <laughs> yeah exactly that you want to write and if if you've been in an institution there's that kind of immersion and there's that there's that um pulling of influences and learning a certain not a style but a certain kind of outlook a certain you know you're in a certain community yeah, like a set of skills that leads you towards a certain style for sure yeah and you kind of you absorb that and now I'm I'm seeing the benefit of of being out of that yeah. for a while. It's as though it was like one big globule, and I was part <laughs> of the globule, and I've I've slowly pulled myself away from yeah, the globule, yeah. and I'm I'm on my own my own separate globule now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, it is nice to realise that you can just make the stuff you want to make. Mm. I think because obviously I did five years straight of, of being an institution. I'm about to head straight back. Um, but yeah. this year out was was super useful to sort of think, what do I actually want to write? Like, do I Great. really want to go in this direction? Do I really want to sound like this person? What do I want my pieces to say? And this year was a real shift in um, all of those answers, really. The harpies of the lovely hair, Occupied and Daello. And these two, in the speed of their wings, keep pace with blowing winds, or birds in flight, as they soar and swoop high aloft. So how has it changed? What was it before and where do you want to go with it? So probably best if I explain what I'm actually going to be doing. Sure. So the PhD I'm doing, I won't give you the sort of fancy wacky summary, but basically um, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to various um, conservation facilities in the UK and abroad, doing recordings, sound recordings of all of their animals and noting down some of those um, behaviours. And then I'm basically writing um, pieces that can be used for public awareness and education and also using those behaviors that I noted down to sort of inspire the way that I'm writing the pieces. So it's multi-leveled. But basically the thing that changed was I want my um, music to do something, um, which is a really tricky thing to put into words. So the past stuff I've done, which I've really enjoyed doing, told stories and were very based in the environment and people's relationship with it. But what I'm about to do is much more explicitly that. And that's probably where it shifted is that I've realized, actually, I want my pieces to do something rather than just be like, wow, that was a cool sound. I want people to think, oh, wow, I should probably go and do something about the state of the world now, <laughs> mm. um, which we all know is a, a bit of a mess right now. But um, <laughs> Well, more people are going to fix it. Yeah. I mean, we all need to do little things and persuade big people to do the bigger things, obviously. Um, mm. Yeah, that's going slightly off topic. Basically, I, I realized in my year, especially doing the volunteering actually to outreach is that 
I want what I do to have some sort of impact um, is, is the, mm. main, the main answer that's changed. Interesting. Because I know that you had that, uh, it was like a game, a kind of game, Habitone. Yeah, this was a real start of that. Where you created various biospheres. Right, this was the inception of this, this idea. This was sort of the inception. It started with um, my piece, Occupy in a Yellow, um, which is nothing to do with the environment, but it does have bird recordings in it because it's about Greek harpies. So it's like female voice mm. and bird recordings because they were half bird, half woman. And then I wrote 14 minutes of wacky noises to explore that, which is great fun. Um, but that sort of started it because I went to Jersey Zoo to go and record in their aviary. And they were really cool about me just sitting there with my microphone for a couple of hours in the morning. It was great. Um, and that really got me thinking about, hmm, maybe I can do something more with... Um, places like Jersey Zoo and see if I can do some more recordings and then when it came to that module in the masters which is um, interactive tools and engines it's a great module one I've been looking forward to probably since starting it because it's all about um, video game engines and that was one of the things I have mentioned I was always sort of interested in and I thought okay what on earth am I going to do I'm going to make a game yeah okay about what and I was thinking about like, what am I interested in other than sound and music? And um, I've always been a huge animal lover and, and really interested in conservation. So I thought, okay, I'll do something about um, habitats. I was vastly influenced by this game. I think it was 2001 Microsoft game called Zoo Tycoon. Don't know if you know it. <laughs> oh, well, like like um, Roller Coaster Tycoon. Yeah, it's. I think it's by the same people, but it's about making right. zoo. And you okay. have to make the exhibits the right size and you have to put the right terrain in and the right trees. Otherwise, your animals will be super unhappy um, mm. is the basic premise. And I played this game so much as a kid. It was a real like <laughs> just just constantly. And um there was a dinosaur expansion pack. That's probably what got me into it was the Incredible. dinosaur expansion pack. But anyway, that was a, a real influence to that, thinking about, you know, different terrains and then thinking, how can I make this interesting musically? Because I'm doing a music degree and not a zoology degree. Um, yeah. So yeah. Could you that, just describe sort of the overall concept of Habitone? Just briefly? Yeah. Yeah. So um, basically you've got um, six empty terrains. And when you go into one, you um, choose what you'd like the terrain to be. So, you know, like savanna or um, swamp, rainforest, grassland, etc. And um, that then creates like your first layer of music. And then um, you have to choose what temperature that's going to be. So, for example, rainforest is going to be really hot. So if you get the temperature wrong, then there's a filter applied to make it sound not quite right. So you have to get that right. So it's kind of educational. If you if you can't realize rainforests are hot, then you probably need to be uh, educated. <laughs> then the next layer is like choosing the trees and stuff. So then you uh, choose basically what music do you think sounds best. And then so you, ch- you choose, okay, I think the pan pipes sound really cool here. And then it'll add, you know, rainforest trees to your desert or something weird, you know. Um, so you're meant to be playing around. You're not really meant to get it all right. And then the, the next layer is um, you choose a nice drum beat to go over the top. So you think, oh, cool, I like those bongos. I'll put those over the top. And you put like Arctic wolves in your in your rainforest. Basically, I, I wrote the uh, terrains separately. So if you've got all the rainforest right, this is what it would sound like. So then when you mixed it all up, um, I still made it fit, you know, har- like harmonically it fit okay and everything. But um, hmm. came up with some really cool different sets of melodies and, and rhythms. And basically it's playing with sounds, but having effects on the environment was, was the, the point of it, basically. Yeah. And so were there any kind of initial instructions or did you ever see anyone else play it who hadn't had it explained to them? Yeah, there was definitely like tutorial elements, um, you know, which controls do what, all of that. Uh, It's interesting Mm. when you're making that sort of thing because you don't 
you almost don't think about it until the end. You've like made this really cool Sonic game and then just suddenly you're like, wait, who, how's anybody going to know how to use this other than me? <laughs> and then you have to suddenly implement all of these um, tutorial bits. Uh, so yeah, that's a really good point. You have to think about when you're making something like this, it's not just going to be you using it. It's going to be lots of other people. Yeah. Helping, you know, Electroacoustic composer slash user interface designer. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. The design wasn't great because, you know, it's it's a real close um, time frame you have to make this in. Um, right. And so the idea was to, it was an educational project fundamentally to teach yeah. about different environments and habitats. Yeah, it was meant to be obviously like playing with sounds as well, but at its core, it's meant to be educating you about these different terrains, what lives there, how hot it is, where in the world is it going to be, what are the um, problems facing it now. So I did a little round on, um, you have to find where, you know, the chainsaw is in the forest or where this drill is mm. in the in the desert. Um so again, that sort of has small links to me thinking I want my stuff to mean something in the real world. That was definitely like I started that. And the kind of reward for the player is is information because you get little tidbits yeah, about the various environments like pop-ups. So if you choose like the right tree by listening to the sounds, then you get some interesting information about um, and it sounds cool. It's hopefully also a reward. I kind of wondered if you were to put it into a classroom whether information is enough of a reward incentive for a kind of oh yeah pro like probably a primary not or a secondary as somebody class. who's who's played games in school before you get information <laughs> you're like cool what can i do next but this is actually yeah. why i wanted it to be more play as well as educational mm, okay. because i know as a kid i would have been like oh i like to change these bongos into this cool beat i don't care mm. if there's arctic wolves in my desert like i wanted it to be fun even if you, you don't care about the information right, okay so it's like the music is the main focus and then you kind of slip the information in. So it's kind of the other way around in a way in terms of like what you wanted to be the focus. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's kind of like, do you want to play with some sounds? By the way, save the environment is kind of the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I like that. That's that's sneakier than I thought it was. That's good. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> sneak education. <laughs> mm, yeah, no, it's a really interesting idea. Um, and then obviously people people interested in activism is a, is a huge contingency of, of people in, in music and, and well in all strains of music really there seems to be some kind of alignment there oh absolutely yeah how do you create action from music oh man that's a really difficult um answer really but if somebody goes and listens to a piece or does a sound walk or engages with a piece of music and they learn something or think oh i hadn't thought about it that way i mean this isn't just to do with you know the climate emergency but but anything really if they if they go away thinking maybe I need to look more into this or have basically any emotional or logical reaction to it, then I think it's done at least a little bit of its job. There was this really good piece which I've just has just come to mind where I think it was it was about rising temperatures, I think. Yeah. I'm really really smudging this bit. It was in it was in part of the call for scores one year. And this guy had written this piece where it's very good. So each movement was a year. Yeah. And each movement, the note density increased by the amount the temperature had risen. Oh, that's clever. So that's that's data sonification, right? It's it's data sonification. That's a real big part of how musicians are engaging with with especially the climate crisis, but uh, but a lot of other stuff is by taking numbers and information and turning it into something you can actually hear. So if no, you know, no one wants to look at stats, stats are boring, but listen to this. Can you hear how much more dense this note is? Yeah, that's, that's a really good way of going about it for sure. I actually, um, 
hated doing a data solidification during my master's. It was one of our required modules. And well, I think it's really hard. I think it's, it's really, really hard, hard to be able to hear it because if you're like, oh, the dynamic changes, unless everyone's doing it you have to yeah. be so clear yeah. with your intention Absolutely. otherwise i think it just gets lost i found as well like um turning numbers into sound so this isn't with um performers but but just acousmatically like the stuff i tend to do um if you're just turning numbers into sound like that's it's not it's not interesting well i couldn't make it interesting <laughs> i didn't like conforming to that personally there's some really fantastic um audification stuff going on um even now, like at the University of Manchester, there's PhD students doing stuff on this and data simplification. It's really cool. I just, I didn't like being constrained by the numbers, which is ironic considering I almost did maths, but yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's very hard to convey a number with something that moves through time. I think yeah. that's probably the, the fundamental kind of collision that, that I struggle with. There was a very good video I watched actually about the, I mean, it is, it is quite uh, opinionated. I'll link it in the description um, <laughs> by a guy called Tantacruel, who, if you hate Sibelius as much as I do, I guess they'll never sponsor us oh, now. No. Um, <laughs> then you'll, you'll love his, his design takedown of Sibelius and you'll be like, oh yeah, why don't, why don't they have a button for that? Like, why is that hidden yeah, behind oh, three man. menus? Me and Sibelius are not friends. <laughs> is anyone friends with Sibelius? Like, uh, you know, you, you might be an acquaintance with Sibelius, but are you a friend with Sibelius? <laughs> Like, would oh, you go man. out for a drink with Sibelius? I don't think so. <laughs> I did think you meant the composer at first, and I was like, "How dare oh, you trash talk Sibelius?" But now I realise you're talking about the software, and I agree with the you. Yeah, I hear it. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> yeah, so sorry. Yeah, so he did a really good video about his issues with data sonification, yeah. and the because I think because music is kind of fundamentally interpretable and isn't, you know, it's not that precise most of the time mm. like if it's yeah, only yeah. if it's instrumental you know if we've only got like uh one two three four five six <laughs> we've only got like six dynamics anyway <laughs> and they basically mean three things with various different expressions assigned to them and even then <laughs> yep. they're pretty relative like it's you're never gonna get any this kind is, of number out this of that. is reminding me of um when the uni decided that they were going to get us to play Silbriere, you know, Harrison Burwell's or Silbriere, one of the most difficult oh, yeah. chamber pieces for, for orchestra. And um, they chose me to play it for some reason. And I just remember it. Obviously it, it's so precise. Just like every note has to be, oh my goodness. And it was just hell to rehearse. And then Harrison Burwell came and we said, you know, mm. we asked some questions about what about this bit, you know, um, tell us about why you made it so precise. And his answer to every single question was, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and I was just tearing my hair out like why have you written this incredibly difficult piece when you literally don't care what it sounds like I'm sure he does like if Harrison Burwell was listening I'm sorry but um <laughs> you know if, if you don't care about it being so precise why would you write it like that to the point when your players uh, just get angry um Harrison Burwell is a myth he's a myth <laughs> Yeah, because he doesn't he's, actually exist. like he's famous for like interviews where he would he would just not be in the mood. And <laughs> I heard that his interview after oh, the man. performance at uni went quite well. Like he was giving like answers yeah. to things. Oh man, he know, just wasn't as, in the as mood. you might expect. On the rehearsal, um, right? Oh, that's a shame because <laughs> you, you kind of want to know, don't you? When you right? when you need to do a metric modulation every two bars or <laughs> do some eleven duplets, oh, you know. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting boundary between 
11 tuplets in graphic notation (laughs) (laughs) because one is one that you know they're essentially equivalent unless you're like sick at music and maths (laughs) i.e you so maybe maybe you've got no no excuse here (laughs) (laughs) don't take away my excuse please (laughs) (laughs) it's really hard yeah again like you like i mean this is what you're saying isn't it's just it's very imprecise music most of the time yeah yeah i think this is probably a why i like playing new music and graphic scores because one can tend to be a bit more free about it and be why I like electroacoustic music because I in general am quite a precise and perfectionist person and you can actually do that with electroacoustic music when it's acousmatic I mean like not working with performers you can be like okay I need to move this sound a millisecond to the left and you can just do it that's that's Mm. crazy to me um it's still crazy having been doing this for some years now that (laughs) if I don't like the way it is like just incrementally different to how I want it to be I can just change it every time I do that I'm like oh man technology is cool that it allows me to do this so I sort of fluctuate between being like freedom yeah I love to be free when I play music and no I need this like little sound to be exactly where I want it to be in my music um Mm. yeah yeah, it's like it's like the perfect recording, but it's, it's internalized. Like it's the kind of recording <laughs> yes. process taken to an extreme. Yeah, and having been in a lot of recording sessions on both sides, as the person performing and the person recording, it's just not possible. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> as I'm sure you know as well, <laughs> it's just not. It's not plausible. Um, I wonder if that feeling of are they really going to keep that take? Like, I wonder if that ever goes away. <laughs> No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think it does. Because I've definitely had that feeling in more ad hoc recordings. Yeah. But where it's a recording, you know, it's still a recording day. It's not just we'll, we'll put a recorder down. Like it's, they're trying to get a it's proper an actual recording or something. For, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I've also, I think I've also had that. Um, I was lucky to record in Angel Studios once on the oh, nice. Alexander Armstrong Christmas album. Yeah, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> peak of my career oh my gosh that's amazing. Uh, but yeah anyway I was <laughs> I was in there and um it, you know it's just this backing choir that's gonna get reduced to like minus 200 decibels in the in the oh, final man. recording you know it's just we're just yeah, in effect at the end of the day um but yeah. you know you, you still think kind of like oh they're gonna keep that like <laughs> and I, that probably but, but because your it. level your ability goes up as you kind of reach higher recording stakes you probably just keep thinking yeah. that because you're like oh my standards are this much higher and but and we're singing it this much better but i actually heard yeah. this many more <laughs> things as well <laughs> it's interesting doing obviously having done a lot of recordings from the tech point of view um not large scale ones, but even I do a lot of my own vocals in work, whether it's sung or spoken. And um, obviously I keep them all because you never know what weird sounds you might want to add. Um, <laughs> for example, there was one one time when I um, accidentally burped into my microphone and I told this to um, my parents. I was like, haha, you know, I recorded me burping into the microphone and they were like, I dare you to put this in one of your pieces. And I have, by the way. So um, have fun finding that. It's in Occupy. That's going to be really hard. 14 minute one. It's only, I can hear it because I know what the sound sounds like because I had to listen to me burp a million times as I was editing. But um, if you didn't know it was there, you wouldn't know. Where was I going with this? I went on a total tangent. Oh yeah, so I recording. Know, but I um, want to know what I want to know what kind of sound your burp is. I need to know. Like, I want to listen out for it. I want to see if anyone can send, send me the timestamp and oh tell me gosh. what time it happens in. It's, it's like it's a very how do you say small. Occupetti um, and Ayel. You know what? Do you I probably have pronounced it wrong 
I pronounce it Occupete in a yellow. It's probably not that. Okay. Um, which is embarrassing now because that piece has been played all over the world and on the radio. So now my bad pronunciation of ancient Greek has been broadcast. But hey ho, yeah, I have no you. idea how it's actually meant to be pronounced. Yeah, mm. but is it like will we be able to know it's a burp or will it be like bubbles or stretched out to two minutes long? No, no, no. Okay. It's not. It's not actually edited in that way. It's just hidden oh, within okay. a texture, so that you might think maybe a bird made that noise, or maybe it was just <laughs> something I did with some cool plugins. But no, it's just it's just me bubbing. Um. Anyway, yeah, your voice seems like a really integral part of your sound. Not, yeah, not it's, that, it's but a, it's you a know, big part. your song. Not, voice. not the burping. Yeah. The actual the yeah. the song voice, especially. Um, I do tend to put narrative in nowadays, just because I think it's important. I drag a lot of non-music people to my concerts. Um, mm. My boyfriend's in software development. He had never heard of electroacoustic music or a lot of my music um, that I like before we started dating. So I drag him to all of my stuff and I like people to be able to navigate it, even if they have no idea what sounds are going on. So I do like to add narration for that reason. But yeah, the, you record your voice so many times. I'm sure you're used to this as well with the podcast show, but my goodness, it just doesn't sound the same as what I think it sounds like. Um, it's crazy. Well, I think people will, will uh, hear pieces throughout this or they'll go and listen to your, your recordings. And I don't think they'll think it sounds the same either. I don't uh, think what, to the, the To same. the spoken stuff now, I suppose. Mm, yeah. I like put on my posh you know, when voice when I do... Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was hiding. <laughs> I put on my very posh English Southern voice, which I can do, but I don't do all the time. Yeah, Not conversationally. Normally, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny that. I've become well I've so I've been recording my voice for quite a long time oh yeah and so I'm quite used to it and I almost forget that it's weird to hear it back (laughs) because I the reference point of outside my head is actually quite established in my mind yeah so I kind of know how it sounds but I have I have tried to improve my speaking voice (laughs) since starting a podcast (laughs) and at first I was like it's really interesting how different voice tones create different associations yeah because if i were to speak in a more resonant baritone that's less natural to me it's it's less my speaking voice i would probably sound more like uh i don't know petrock trelawney (laughs) well i mean i wouldn't sound like him from the radio (laughs) radio three breakfast show yeah yeah um and that's kind of, it's not really what I'm going for. Like there's an aesthetic to it that carries <laughs> over. So although it seems like maybe having a richer voice or a more resonant voice or pronounce your consonants better. I mean, I could certainly that's do with not popping the mic. Um, <laughs> but other than that, <laughs> but it, oh, it carries an association that you don't necessarily want. Yeah. Speaking of popping the mic, the number of times I was trying to record me saying, okay, Pete and Aiello, I mean, I've got, a pop, <laughs> I've got a shield on at the moment. I don't know if it's working, but um, the number of times I just went like, Pete and oh my goodness so many re-recordings of that
it was interesting what you were saying earlier about how your boyfriend hadn't heard of electroacoustic music because I don't think 99% of the population have probably <laughs> more so than 99% of the population because so yeah. it, it feels like electroacoustic music should be less niche than contemporary classical music it's interesting because there's like so many films there's so many films nowadays that have electrocutic music like almost solely mm. as their soundtrack well oh, we were watching a film the other day no it wasn't a film it was a series it was the new alex Ryder series on amazon prime it was actually really good the soundtrack <laughs> okay. is basically electroacoustic music i don't know if other people would describe it as that but it's so good oh. and i was listening to it like people would listen to this for fun right but they would have no idea that there's other stuff just like this going on in the like academic elitist if you will world of electroacoustic music as you say there's like there's loads of links to more popular stuff that's that's happening in the world but still people think it's quite a scary thing and to be fair some of it's pretty scary like the first piece of electroacoustic music i was told to go listen to it was um danny saul who is my hero um he said sarah go listen to some japanese noise music and i was 18 and um really liked you know nice this already sounds like a bad idea i like to sing (laughs) oh man so i i went home and turned it on and i was like wait is my is my laptop broken like what (laughs) why is it making this awful sound but i listened to it and was like this you know there's there's sounds like this and all sorts of sound design and films and series and and stuff like this but i had no idea that it was being done in such a way Mm. so yeah you're right you you would have thought because there's so many links with you know video game music, film, sound design, um, especially especially in like science fiction, you would have thought people would have more idea that it's not quite as scary as you think. But yeah, mind. I mean, there's an interesting association between horror films and innovation in general. Actually, so I don't understand yeah, why, but they seem to be one. a kind of source of innovation. You know, like things like Get Out, when like I, when it's I a did vehicle my, for um, more niche things. Oh yeah, definitely. When yeah. I did my. Um, sound course at SSR we did quite a lot of um horror film sound because there's so much you can do with it and also it was really bad for me because I'm a massive wimp and um these were all really like (laughs) horrible and gory and I was just sitting there like yep yep and I was the only girl on the course so I was like I cannot be a wimp because I just can't um so I really put on a brave face and was like oh yes the sound here is really interesting while internally I was like his guts are everywhere I do not want to be watching this but you're absolutely right like you can almost get away with more with horror sound design because it's meant to be awful as in like scary not awful as it's it's meant to elicit this sort of you know, visceral response to the sound in a way that a lot of electroacoustic music does in both positive and negative ways. Um, yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, you're supposed to hear the sound, which you're not supposed to do in most yeah. film music. Yeah, yeah, you're supposed to hear it and you're supposed to like feel it because that's, you mm. watch a horror film without sound and it's like not even scary, but the sound is always what makes it like incredibly <laughs> awful to watch for me um <laughs> but you know you listen to a, a lot of good electroacoustic music and you should have the same thing you should have like you should think about the space of your body and the music and how are you reacting to it physically and how do I feel about the sound being really close to me do I feel claustrophobic does it feel like I'm in a wide open vista like there's so many possibilities yeah you're absolutely right horror horror does that pretty well I was thinking also about how you, there's a lot of world building in electroacoustic music. You're creating oh, yeah. spaces, you're creating, but you're also having to create consistency because you can chuck anything in there. And this is a, a really difficult part of it. Yeah, it seems like you have to walk such a tight rope between being literal and metaphorical with the sounds. So you can't just yeah. put a car horn in there. 
but <laughs> well, you, you can could. manipulate it so it's in a kind of in-betweeny <laughs> well you could yeah. <laughs> so it's more like in-betweeny and it kind of then exists in this manipulated world where there's a there's a kind of common theme yeah it's it's really difficult to sort of think I could literally do anything with any noise. I've got to narrow it down. I mean, I'm sure you remember this because you did electro for um, quite a bit during undergrad as well. Mm. But just thinking, okay, what do I actually want it to sound like? And then choosing the sounds you think will get you there. Sometimes they don't. Um, and then you have to change it. But yeah, you have to really be careful that you're not just shoving in a, suddenly a real world noise into this imaginary soundscape you've created that will totally drag people out of whatever imaginary space they're in. Unless that's the whole point of the piece is you just going from space to space to space and like just shocking people. There was a really cool piece, a guy in my master's did. He, he was from Greece. I won't try and pronounce his name because I'll butcher it. But um, <laughs> he did this awesome piece that was about opening doors and every mm. single door it opened was like a whole nother space. And that sounds really cheesy, but he did it so well. So if, mm. if it's like the point of the piece to do that, then, you know, we'll go for it. Just like if it's the point, point of a piece to be white noise for 20 minutes, changing to pink noise changing to blue noise and do it but if it's if it's not then obviously excess noise is bad and shoving noises where they don't belong it, it is maybe is not so great either so you really have to think about I guess intention but that's opening up a whole nother door let's not open that up <laughs> um, no <laughs> no okay <laughs> <laughs> intention yeah compose intention it, it's a debate I've had with many people and no answer is ever reached. Okay. Yeah. What, what's the, what's the general argument? I, I'm not really aware of what you're it's, talking about. It's not even to do with um, music either to do with the visual arts as well. What's more important, like the composer or artist intention or the way it's interpreted. And this was uh, come about because I do a thing with my brother called art forgery Fridays, which is when we copy famous art and we have an hour and a half to do it, which has hilarious results. And um, you guys, it's great fun. That's so cool. Uh, <laughs> but basically, I did I did this really fun kind of pop arty um, like stick figures with some dogs, and I just thought it was so joyful. And then I looked it up afterwards, and the whole message behind it was so depressing. <laughs> and I was thinking, what was more important, the composer, the composer, the artist saying you're meant to interpret this as being about the race war in America or about um, homophobia and all of this really heavy stuff whereas when I was drawing it I was like there's a dog with a stick and it's in purple like what's more important the fact <laughs> you know it, it, we had a, a long debate about this whether mm. that intention was more important or whether one's interpretation of it is more important yeah one of the words that I thought about was conceptual art like is there a boundary between electro acoustic composer and conceptual artist where Ooh, the idea is more the which I, I wasn't quite sure was the right word but this is absolutely what you're <laughs> talking about where the the yeah. concept is more important than the object itself yeah What's, yeah I, what I, side I did totally you agree. fall on oh, yeah i no i think i do agree like with electroacoustic music it, you know especially i think it's useful to have some sort of guidance through it so you know that you're interpreting it at least a little bit in the way the composer wants you to because otherwise if if it's just some noises if you're not used to listening in that sort of focused way you might just think well what what am i meant to grasp onto here how am i meant to interpret this in any way other than just like sonic chaos so i do agree that some sort of guiding through it is is good and as i said is why i tend to put narration in my pieces just because I like to guide people through it 
so that they at least yeah. know the road in which to go down to interpret it rather than just like shoving them in the world in the wild and yeah. like letting them roam free and does that break the consistency of the world though if you start talking in it that's a really good question and one that i have been asked and continue to ask um mm. When I first put some narration into my piece, Occupy, I took it to my supervisor, Dave, and he was like, the narration sounds like it sounds, it's it's a totally different world to the rest of it. You have to remedy this or at least make it sound like it's meant to be there. Um, I still don't know if I 100% succeeded. I like the way it sounds, which I guess is the most important thing. As we said, you write the stuff you want to write. Absolutely. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult question, but especially with the stuff I'm, I'm going to be doing in the next couple of years, um, it's meant to be about public engagement and awareness and education. So it's even if the world is going in some wacky places, I think it's it's meant to be there. Um, in my case, anyway, I can't speak for anybody else. And I'm sure there's lots of people who would disagree with me on, on this point about having um, narration, not just spoken word, but like actual narration in a piece. But that's what I think about it in regards to my own work. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And that's that's your opinion, you know? Yeah. That's your artistic decision. <laughs> Do you think you'll include uh, spoken word in your conservation pieces then? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. There's, right, I mean, okay. I'm going to be doing this for education purposes and public engagement. And if people are just hearing like, oh, here's a nice noise of, you know, what a gorilla sounds like. And then it goes off into a weird world. How do they grasp onto that? Because the whole point of the PhD is to explore how can I use sound in a way to get people to care about animals and the environment um in in this specific way mm. so i think personally with the stuff i'm doing it's important for me to have some sort of narration um in, in the pieces I'm, i mean i'm doing a lot of different projects but in the acousmatic ones as in the ones you know that are just straight up you press play and you listen to it i think the narration will be very important let me ask you a question you like cheetahs right i do do you like them because you read about them or do you like them because you experienced being around them for two months? So this is a really interesting question. Um, I mean, I've always loved animals, even though I had never seen them, but being around them mm. and like having experiences with them that weren't just like watching them on the screen, but like multi-sensory experience, that was something that really forged an emotional connection for me with the animals that were there you know not just cheetahs but the others as well is actually you know not just seeing them but having a sense of them being near you listening to the sounds they make feeling um the texture of their fur if, if, if they allow you to get near them um you know that sort of thing and I think this is something that electroacoustic music does incredibly well is actually multi-sensory experiences because I don't know if anybody else gets this. I know I do. And I know there's a lot of scholarly writing about it, but how electroacoustic music is so good about um, doing, oh, the fancy way of saying it's transmodal. It's basically Ooh. having, I know, fancy word, <laughs> having a sound, but actually experiencing it with multiple senses. So obviously when you're listening to like a nice piece of music, you might imagine a nice, you know, an imaginary landscape. That's, that's transmodal. That's using your inner sight but electroacoustic music has this really cool way of doing it with all your not all your other senses you can't smell stuff with music but definitely with um with touch and and with sight you can definitely do that and i think that's something i'd like to do with the pieces i'm writing and it's definitely one of the reasons why i formed a more emotional connection with those animals it's because i had a multi-sensory experience with them um so yeah that's a really yeah. good question <laughs> 
thanks <laughs> is that visualization because I, I feel like I, I actually really understand what you're saying about the fancy word um with um, <laughs> electroacoustic music yeah, yeah where you feel like i was saying like you feel like you're in a world you feel like you're in a certain space yeah. or a certain it, kind it's of environment it's not just it's not just visualizing the space but i don't know about anybody else but um even when i'm just listening to something you know stereo um I feel like my body is in a place. I feel like I'm experiencing something physically and not just visualizing it. Yeah, it's almost like VR for you. Yeah, oh, that's a good way of saying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> because you're feeling more than one sense, you you kind of get you get a sense of um, being in another place and actually being near the animal. And you can do this with, in so many different ways, just sonic manipulation, or you can literally just like mic the cheetah really close. So when you listen to it on headphones, it sounds close to you. Like that's that's a simple way of saying it if you hear the fact that the cheetah's brushing against the microphone when you hear that in on headphones you might think oh there's there's something next to me um yeah that's that's a simple way of doing it and i think electroacoustic music can do that in so many really interesting and intricate ways with sonic manipulation of a whole bunch of recordings not just close mic stuff but um all sorts so yeah and and the touch sensation i'm really interested by that because i i don't think i've ever experienced anything like that where you feel so do you feel like you're actually touching a cheetah? It, it's or not as explicit the piece as that. It's not as explicit as that. But I mean, if when yeah. you listen to certain sonic textures, um, it's not so much you're just like imagining, you know, a sandpaper or whatever, but you actually kind of get a feel of what that texture might feel like. So uh, for example, if you get a really uncomfortable grating sound, you might think, oh, that is not, that will be like a really horrible thing to touch. That'll be a really horrible thing to have like a sensation with. Right. So it's kind of that kind of textural element where you're like yeah. bringing to mind like some kind of like graininess or kind, exactly. of, kind of that kind of chalk on, uh, was it nails on a chalkboard type yeah. of sensation. And obviously going into the more positive sounds as well, not just the negative. The, neg <laughs> the negative yeah. is more easy to explain, I find. Um, yeah, and obviously I'm still you can in the horror movie. <laughs> you're still in the horror movie, yeah. <laughs> but you can do this with the instrumental music. Of course you can um, with the really cool external techniques. Um, but mm. I just find electroacoustic music just has like no limits on that and that's something that i find really exciting about it yeah fascinating yeah. fascinating <laughs> oh, we've not even talked about cantos we've not even talked about <laughs> cantos we can talk about cantos Nah, i think we should end it there it's yeah. been an hour All right. and i think i think to add cantos at the end would would feel very strange <laughs> It's like, sorry, now for the Cantos segment. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you get me talking about this niche thing and I don't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. Nice. You've, been, you've been a really good guest. Thank you so much oh, for coming on the you. podcast. Thank no, you. Thanks Sarah. for asking me. This was really, uh, really exciting to talk about some of the stuff that we chat about. Um, yeah. So yeah. Kind thanks. of a little preview of next year, Sarah Kerr. Oh, yeah. Thanks again to Sarah for coming on the podcast. We're going to play her piece Occupetti and Aello, which is the best pronunciation I could find from the internet. I guess no one really knows how to pronounce ancient Greek, right? Before we do that, though, I just want to remind you that if you have any questions for Vijay Aya on the next episode of the podcast, please send me a message however you like, but send me a message and I'll let him know. And if you enjoyed this, please tell your friends. We've had some really nice progression of listenership and subscribers over the last uh, few months and it's been really nice to see the word getting out about this podcast it, it really makes it worthwhile knowing that people are enjoying what we're doing so thank you 
So this is Sarah Curls, Occhi Betty, and Aello. I'll see you next time.
the harpies of the lovely hair, Occupit and Aello. And these two in the speed of their wings keep pace with blowing winds, or birds in flight, as they soar and swoop high aloft. Bodied, girl-faced things they are. Their hands are talons. Their faces haggard with hunger. Thank you. 
clawed feet and swollen feathered bellies. They call their lamentations in the eerie trees. to 